This week's episode is brought to you by the Portland Rose Festival Foundation, who would like to thank the entire Portland community for coming together to celebrate what makes the Rose City a great place to live and visit. Thank you for a fantastic Rose Festival season. Hi. We're live. This is Daryl Grant. Daryl Grant is doing a lot of really cool stuff. I'm going to read his one of his many bios just because it's, I think it's so beautifully written and really, I don't know, told me uh, all the incredible things he's doing right now. He is a professor at Portland State University in the Jazz Studies program. And he's a composer, an incredible composer in his own right, with a million projects going. We were just talking about how it is with artists. He got a lot of balls in the air. And if you're an artist listening, you know that already. So he's performed with some of the best artists in the country. And he he just returned from Washington, D.C., where he did a piece that he wrote called Step by Step, The Ruby Bridges Suite. He's just doing remarkable work in music and, in my view, bridging the gap between art and political point of view, which is really exciting. And I'm yeah. just real grateful for the work you're doing. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. yeah. Thanks so much for coming. My pleasure. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> we don't get to talk enough, so I know. this is a good opportunity. <laughs> it's great. So now you're going to sing a little something for us. Tell us about it. Uh, well, I was going to do that later. Oh, yes? What? You want me to do that first? You can if you want, sure. Well, we were talking about, okay. tell us a little bit about the territory, oh, which sure. you're going to be doing at right. the Oregon Bach Festival right. and also with Chamber of Music, Music Northwest. Northwest. Yeah. Right. In July, yeah. I have those dates right here, just right. so you know, July 12th at Oregon Bach Festival and the Chamber of Music Northwest on July 15th and 16th. Right. Right. Tell us about that piece. Um, well, I wrote the territory in 2012. Mm-hmm. I got a grant from um, Chamber, uh, Chamber Music America, mm-hmm. a new jazz works grant to compose and then premiere a new piece. And um, so we performed it. Um, Chamber Music Northwest premiered it actually at, uh, at Reed College and then again at St. Mary's in their series in 2012. And then um, so I played it again uh, in New York in 2014 and at the Portland Jazz Festival. And so it's a, it's a piece that's sort of based around the idea of, of terroir, this idea that, you know, the land itself impacts the way that we live. And I, I wanted to sort of, as a composer, I really wanted to sort of tap into this, this physical history of the place, but also the cultural stories of the place and, you know, what, how much is myth and how much is, you know, actually, you know, um, truth based on how we live. So the piece is, um, is, uh, nine movements, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, covers everything from the Missoula floods to, um, the Golden West hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's, for me, it was a really great opportunity to learn about Oregon's landscape and to sort of see the way that that has, that the spirit that it invokes and the, and the sort of thread through which, you know, through our history, um, that the landscape Escape plays. It's so interesting because I did an interview a while back with a winemaker, mm-hmm. and we were talking about that very thing about how the earth beneath the yeah. vines influences the grape itself, and yeah. you could kind of go. It sounds that they're re- like they're related. Totally related. I mean, I was really inspired by that. And um, after we did the piece, um, I got a, a rat grant to actually do interviews with different artists and artisans. And we talked to winemakers, chefs, architects um, about that, about how does the place, mm-hmm. the spirit of place impact your work. And it mm-hmm. was really, it really is true because this place is is different, you know, I am. Um, I remember before I moved here from New York, I um, I read this book called The Last Best Place, mm-hmm. and it was written by an author. I think he was based in Seattle, but his premise, his thesis was that if the world all like just 
fell apart. The place you'd want to be to rebuild civilization is the Cascade Watershed. And I, I, so I sort of read this from Yay. New York City going, well, okay, I want to check that out. I want to see that. You know, and there is, there is something about this sort of the, the verdant sort of the, the abundance mm-hmm. that we're surrounded with that, that has been here, you know, mm-hmm. for millennia, for all of human existence, you know, here in, in, in the, especially in the Willamette Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, I think that Im- impacts the way that people see the land, the way that the, the native indigenous populations lived on the land. And I think the way that we choose to sort of let the land impact us mm-hmm. now. And, you know, it's no accident that, you know, Portland, you know, is a place where we have these sort of these, these land use policies that really try and, you know, uh, and pursue sustainability and, mm-hmm. and, you know, really letting the land impact us. But, you know, I mean, we have to, we have to do that because, um, you know, it will wear out. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're unveiling some stories that don't have a really delightful twist. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I was, you know, when I wrote this was the sort of height of the Portlandia craze, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody's moving to Portland and there's, and I sort of been digging into the history and talking to, you know, my colleagues, historians like Bill Lang about the Western history and here. And I realized that this, you know, as much as Portlandia is a myth, mm-hmm. um, there is so much about Oregon that was sort of this sort of myth. I mean, you know, it was designed as a white utopia. I mean, that was one of the sort of things that, you know, and the fact that it was uh, a, not a slave state, but a state where African-Americans could not, could not stay, could not settle, could mm-hmm. not live. Um, and so, and then, you know, sort of looking at, well, what's, how does, how does the story impact uh, Chinese Americans, how, what are the stories of this, the impact of this land on, you know, African Americans, on Japanese Americans, and mm-hmm. because, you know, that pioneer ethos, that Oregon Trail ethos, so that, that sort of, that myth mm-hmm. is so strong, but there are definitely, that was not the unanimous experience of Oregon right. for, for its people, and so I think as we try and make it a place that is welcoming to all people now, mm-hmm. um, that's abundance is sort of for all people, then those stories need to be and are being more and more really being told or coming to the surface. And whether just the sheer telling of the story is enough to heal the wounds remains to be seen. Well, it's a start, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a start because I think, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, I just came back from the, the uh, African-American History Museum of Smithsonian. And, and I mean, that was that was one of the most profound experiences I've ever seen because mm-hmm. to see American history, sort of a, a story of American history told from the perspective of the Africans that, you know, were brought here and the African Americans mm-hmm. that have lived here. And I mean, it was such a great, it was like something that had been out of balance was starting to get tilted up towards balance. Mm. And you could start to see that, oh, this, this story, because we, we live into story. That's how we as human beings behave. And to have a new story to live into, to have new f- sort of facts and things to confront, mm. and you can't get around them. I mean, there's like, they're facts. You didn't yes. know them. And so you could sort of pretend but once mm-hmm. they appear in your path then mm-hmm. you have to address them and i think that's that's the start you know mm-hmm. and hopefully uh, from that we'll see um, more and more sort of joint efforts of empowering it empowering you know people to create a new story but based on the perspectives the variety of perspectives that we can see now mm. i imagine when you're doing your work around the country you have people approaching you and talking to how impactful it is yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really, you know, all of these projects, because I think that's what's so interesting to me about them is that I've always wanted to do music that that reached people and music that had a, a, a mission. Um, and so sort of having tapped into those stories, it's really, I feel like it opens up, you know, my connection to so many different people and to get to hear their stories, even if that means like, you know, going to the Van Port Mosaic Festival and, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, which is and, going on right now. Which is now. going on just right so now. You know, I just right. was over at IFCC and uh -huh. there's yeah. a wonderful, uh, exhibit, exhibit. there. Yeah. There's all sorts of movies and all sorts of wonderful yeah. things to see. So check out the Van Port Mosaic Festival if you're able. Yeah, so we just I did some interviews with people that had lived in Van Port and been in Albina in the 1940s, and so sort of getting those stories. And then when I was in D.C., we did our last performance at the All Souls Unitarian Church, mm. and after the performance, someone pointed out to me the mother of uh, the young college student, um, say, Robinson, I can't remember his name right now, two years ago he was killed mm. on the campus of the University of Maryland by a white supremacist. And she was there at our show. Mm. And to talk to her afterwards, to see, you know, the mere mention of her son mm. just bringing tears to her eyes and that they're still sort of seeking justice for him, even now, two years later. And it's like, okay, I, you know, to be connected to that, to be open to those stories, and then to find, it's like, find my humanity and a more of a, a, a purpose for my humanity through that process. That's, that's really a gift. But I feel like that's what, that's what our art is for, mm -hmm. really. You know, to... It was funny because one of the questions I told you earlier I was going to ask was, how do you fill your own cup? And I know that we probably have are like-minded in when you're in a really authentic process making art, that is how I fill my cup. Yeah, totally. Totally. Because it's like those are the, the, you, those are the directions those are the clues to the, the path that you're supposed to take. You know, whether you're doing your art or whether you put your art down and you're sort of walking in the world, it's mm -hmm. like it's, this, it's this, this venue to ask and explore these deep questions in yourself and in others and, yes. you know, and ask and experiment with the world, you know. Well, when you said terroir, it's so interesting because I immediately thought of the wine world. And then, of course, in the wine um, explanation of terroir and is that the difficulties where the rocks and the where the when there's a drought or where there's severe difficulty for the grape to have to figure a way to produce fruit mm -hmm. would i dare make that comparison with human beings you know i don't know <laughs> well we are sh we are shaped by that by hardship absolutely mm -hmm. um some of those hardships though and certainly that i have not endured a mother who has lost a son, yeah. which would be the most horrible thing I could ever imagine. Totally, totally. And we're both parents, so yeah. we know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, if you, I feel like if we, what's great about being an artist is that you open yourself up to being moved. You mm -hmm. open yourself up to feeling it's the only way you can create. It's the only way that you can do what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And if you open yourself up to being moved, then you're opening yourself up to being vulnerable to other people and yes. letting them move you. And then, you know, you just sort of do the next logical thing, <laughs> right. whether that's picking up a sign and walking in a demonstration or <laughs> starting a class or, you know, whatever Helping it, what it is. Helping someone raise money for something. Yeah. Or... I mean, it's just, it's sort of, it, it, the the answers sort of reveal themselves. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, and that and wanting something, whether it's making art or loving in any way, yeah. opens yourself up to loss and yeah. there's there's grief, there's life and there's death yeah. and everything in between. Yeah. So I do I appreciate what you're saying about opening yourself up 
it's no guarantee that it's going to be yay. Yeah, right. But at least you have a clear path ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. so true. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> so said. you're going to play a little bit of the territory. Um, yeah, I think I will. I will do this. Um, this is a the fourth movement of the territory. It's called Rivers, and uh, it was inspired by a poem that I heard uh, Lynn Derrick uh, write and and I perform and and I just I heard the poem. And I was like, oh. I know what that sounds like, and I wrote this piece. Uh, so it's um, the, so the territory is for you know eight musicians and a vocalist, and mm-hmm. uh, this this so I'm sort of did a, a piano piano reduction of this piece, but I, I kind of enjoy playing and it. And gets the idea. Don't forget that you can also see this at the Oregon Bach Festival right. in July okay. on July 12th, yeah. or at Chamber Music Northwest on July 15th and 16th.
<laughs> Looking forward to playing that with the rest of the band. <laughs> I don't know. There's not really words to sit right here and hear it comes into your... It's good, right? <laughs> anyway, thank you. Oh, thanks. That's thanks. amazing. Thanks. You can f listen to a fully incarnated version of this piece at Oregon Bach Festival. And there's some really cool information about the piece on your website, yeah. which is darylgrant.com forward slash the dash territory. <laughs> Very good. So <laughs> check it out. Yeah. You have come recently back from a tour with Edna Vasquez. Oh. You were telling me a little bit about. Yeah. Well, it was actually a, we did a project here. Um, so we got a, a RAC, uh, Regional Arts and Cultural Council grant a, a year or so ago to do this project called 21 Cartas. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, a former student of mine who, um, he has a, I mean, he's a very successful entrepreneur here and uh, web, has a web company, but he also um, volunteers working with um, Innovation Law Lab and the CARA project, which is a, so Innovation Law Lab was a, a project that was started at Lewis and Clark, actually, and they developed a software that would allow, like, sort of regular citizens to go in and process asylum claims. Mm -hmm. So whereas, you know, so when, you know, people are stopped at the border and incarcerated, mm -hmm. um, they have to wait forever to find an attorney that can come down and process their claims. Well, they created a software that would go through the paperwork so fast that one attorney and volunteers could go through something, I don't know, like 80 people a day instead of one. Oh, I mean, it's oh like ridiculous game changer. And so they've been doing this they've all over the country. And he was down in... Um, at the uh, at the for profit prison in Dilly, Texas, which is where they incarcerated families um, back for before they started. For profit prison, I want to reiterate that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a. I mean, it's you can it's call it business. what you want, <laughs> a detention center yes. and an incarceration facility, but yes. it's basically a for profit prison. Yes, um, that's holding. And they were holding families, and so he was volunteering with them, and uh, it was on Mother's Day in 2016, and mm -hmm. he uh, took some paper in, and he had people write about the experience of what it was like to be in jail with your child on Mother's Day. I mean, these were Guatemalan and Mexican and Honduran women who had mm -hmm. traveled from there, <laughs> you know, walking, train, whatever, to get to the States, and um, really, really powerful, and he brought back these 21 letters, and... Um, we wound up talking about it, and I said, this is something I would really love to see these and set, try and set these to music. And mm -hmm. so Edna Vasquez and I took the letters, and we sort of read them and worked with them and sort of extracted the stories, and we came up with these series of songs, uh, 14 songs that we that we performed. And then we also had a, an incredible filmmaker named Adolfo uh, Cantu Villarreal, um, who has a, a film company here, uh, TZOM. And, um, and so uh, he made, like, sort of video like these films, these little films along with it. And we also recorded, we did videos of a number of like, you know, Portland people from Portland immigrant communities, all, all different cultures, reading these letters yeah. on camera. And so we put this piece together and we performed at the Alberta Rose and um, at the Walters Center. And so talk about impactful. I mean, man, we did workshops with um, Latino Network. And, you know, and so it's one thing when you see these letters from women who were in Texas. Mm -hmm. It's another thing when you walk into a room in Portland and they go, oh, here's my story. Here's how I got here. Here's what happened to me. And, you know, so we're sort of looking at the various 
components of, you know, what, what does it take? Like this sort of fear for your life and this, in the, in making the journey and wrote a song about the bestia, the, the train that said, so migrants will ride the trains for 600 miles on the roofs of trains all through, through Mexico to get up, up through Mexico and, you know, falling off and losing limbs and getting accosted. I mean, it's like crazy, all this, you know, to, for a chance for their children. Mm-hmm. And so these mothers wrote these really profound things. So, so we just finished that and that was, that was really, really powerful and, and um, just connected me with a whole different group of stories. And uh, Another uh, case in which something brutal and tragic led to potentially something beautiful, not to assuage it next to it, and Edna's work is so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, she's she is an amazing human and yeah. uh, and artist. And, Indeed, yeah. I just saw her on Friday night oh. at a in a fundraiser for Friends of Noise. Oh yeah. yeah, and check out Friends of Noise if you're so inclined, and yeah. look at Edna Vasquez's work online. Yeah. And we were talking about the difference between a vocalist and a predominantly <laughs> pianist, even though you're going to sing something in a I few minutes. Am. That that's not your normal universe. Well, you know, it's funny. It, it isn't. I mean, my mother's a singer, mm-hmm. and so I, know, I think this was probably. So I never seeing, and she was very diligent. I mean, she practiced every day, mm-hmm. warmed up. You know, even when she wasn't singing. And so it's like it was pretty clear to me that's what a singer did. I wasn't a singer. I was a, <laughs> I was an instrumentalist, but yet I've had this sort of yearning to sing and I, I sang a couple of songs on my spirit record in 2003 I sang a couple more songs on my truth and reconciliation record in 2007 way back, we sang together way back oh, when gosh. like an artist oh, rap yeah gosh. I mean yeah that's right th- I mean yeah so I've always thought of you as a singer well, but then more and more as I get you know I realize it's not really your well, number one the thing, thing is so this 21 cartas half the songs Edna's singing half the now I'm singing half a show oh. it's like you can't like sort of you're a, appall- you're a singer now so apparently so I'm like oh if I'm an, I can't even do this I can't even, so it's like start you know practicing getting warm-ups and and being consistent and mm-hmm. I thought wow so it it proved to me that I could if I wanted to do this mm-hmm. I think I could do it mm-hmm. but I would have to be serious about it and I would have to like sort of be and to be serious about it means to develop your craft for the purpose of developing your craft, not mm-hmm. just to get through the gig. So, you know, you're asking me about a, um, uh, about my day of show routine. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'd never had to have one. I mean, if I could warm up, I'd warm up. If I, you know, if I, I mean, as a pianist, you know, if I could practice, I would. Um, but it wasn't, you know, there was nothing that I had to do, like resting my voice and drinking tea and then doing a warm up and all that. You know, and that's that's quite... It's interesting. It make, it gives me an appreciation for the willpower mm. and the sort of uh, integrity of, of vocalists who take this seriously. Because you, you a you can't perform, and b you can't pre- preserve your instrument if you don't do those things. So you right. sort of it's a simple decision to make. Right. <laughs> it's like you know you want to do this well or not. So so I'm sort of looking at. I'm, so after the show now, I have this opportunity to think about. Well, okay, so do I want to keep? doing this do mm-hmm. i want to keep working on this or do i want to go back to being a piano player who sings sometimes so well it's interesting too because there's that saying you know close enough for jazz you know and that's such yeah, a jazz mis- people don't say that exactly <laughs> it's so funny because i think people yeah. who aren't involved in music have this idea that jazz players get up and just do their oh, thing yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's nonsense. Well, in the same way that people think that somebody just decides to speak Turkish. Right. And they just stand up and they just like, oh, I think I'll just speak Turkish today. It's like, well, 
Uh, <laughs> right. But I, you know, the, but the thing, of, the, the interesting thing is, and I mean, so since I sort of walk in a lot of worlds, one of the things that I do is um, I'm on the board of Chamber Music, Chamber Music America. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting because that organization started as a classical organization, you know, string quartets and, and um, you know, piano trios and, and the like. And, um, and then about 20 years ago, they decided that jazz seems like it's chamber music. Mm. Huge battles to get jazz accepted as a chamber music. So okay. now, yeah. fast forward 20 years, and it's like, that's a done deal. Jazz, right. the, the fact that jazz and chamber music share the same values, the same roots. But one of the interesting things is that what has happened then is that if you, if you, if you put music from different cultures at an equal level, then you have to um, entertain the possibility that the values of those cultures mm-hmm. are also an equal level. Mm-hmm. And so the value of precision from Western European culture mm-hmm. is one possible apex value. Mm-hmm. But the value of sort of soulfulness and complete community engagement. And improvisation. And, yeah. Or the, right. Yeah. The, if you put that up also as an apex value, mm-hmm. then you don't then then there's no like you can't say well this is better because it has this it's like well it doesn't have this and this this music is loaded with this so right. now you know we're looking at 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 um music you know um north indian music mm. um is that chamber music mm-hmm. mariachi music mexican music is that chamber music mm-hmm. you know and so we're opening up this possibility west african music that these other human values these other cultural values are valued just as much mm-hmm. and so this idea of closeness for jazz or jazz as an approximation jazz mm-hmm. is just focused on something incredibly important and integral and ridiculous hard to achieve. Yes. But it's a different thing (laughs) than the classical thing. And it's not that you can't have people that can do both. I mean, you know, Went Marsalis, Branford Marsalis, Aaron Deal. I mean, all, you know, Cecile Malarne. I mean, there are plenty of individuals that can walk in both worlds. And they say, well, it doesn't, just because I'm uh, able to um, exercise this value at a really high level doesn't mean that I couldn't also do this one. Mm -hmm. It's just that I get to decide how I merge them and how I foreground or, you Mm -hmm. know, do them. So, yeah. So you're on sabbatical, haha. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) Sabbatical for some people means taking a rest. For others, not so. So you're working on a piece. Um, Well, this is the, so I sort of saved the biggest for the end. I don't know why, but yes. uh, Yeah, I got a, I got a, I was fortunate to get a an Oregon uh, Community Foundation Creative Heights grant, um, which is a, along a with huge, Third Angle New Music. Well, yeah. so well deserved oh, and so exciting you. that thank you're thank having you. that opportunity. Yeah. So I'm writing a chamber opera. It's called Sanctuaries. Just a little something. <laughs> summer project. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I am. I'm. I'm collaborating with um, Anis Mojgani, who mm-hmm. is this incredible poet and you know two-time National Slam Poetry Champion. He's on the board of Literary Arts. So Anis is writing libretto, and I'm working with this amazing stage director from LA mm-hmm. and Alexander Gideon, mm-hmm. um, who has worked with I mean he's worked with everybody and you know so he's uh, so it's it really feels like this incredible collaborative endeavor and then Third Angle of course is like sort of presenting and mm-hmm. sort of shepherding us producing this piece so it, it's like the hugest thing I've ever done I mean the writing the writing of the score is huge but then mm-hmm. that's just like this tiny part of what an opera is so I'm just sort of looking forward to the next year it's going to premiere in May of 2020 Wow uh, and it's so wonderful that you are teaching at PSU even though you're on sabbatical now and you won't be teaching for a little while because you bring to the table a real look at an artist's life to those (laughs) students that's true you know that's true well and they get to shape their own i mean i think you know for me this idea of engagement um 
is really very satisfying. But I, I think that the thing that I want to communicate to the students is this, the sense of their own power, the sense of the agency that they have as artists, the perspective, whether they're doing their art or not doing their art. It's like what they carry inside them from ha- having a practice mm. and from sort of, and from their artistic experiences is something the world needs. And so, you know, we're, I've been working with a colleague, Suzanne Severia, for the past couple of years mm-hmm. on this initiative called The Artist as Citizen. And so yes, been, I'm so yeah. glad you brought that up. Yeah. That's so, so been, great. The Artist as Citizen. I yeah. love it. So we've been creating courses and, and uh-huh. um, sort of, in, you know, sort of community activities and all kinds of things. And so I'm, I'm excited when I go back in the fall. I mean, that's, that's going to be a real focus of my activities, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to in, in integrate that even more. And it's interdisciplinary, all the arts. And, you know, and it's really about students sort of um, discovering a sense of mission. And at the same time, they're sort of pursuing mastery in their art form. They're also pursuing purpose in their art form and sort of seeing the ways in which they can engage with social justice, engage with community, and how their art can be powerful and have an impact in the world. And I think it's really what we've seen so far. I mean, they're really excited to realize Mm. that, okay, they don't have to be great yet, Mm -hmm. but they can still be effective. Yes. And that, like, they, so, you know, all kinds of interesting things. Happen. And another great lesson in vulnerability and in exposing yourself as an artist wherever you are on the spectrum at that point. Exactly. And sharing expertise. Right. And I mean, all of us as artists have strengths and weaknesses. Sure. Yeah. And and the, the, the possibilities of service, mm-hmm. of the, using your art as, you know, as in service of yeah. the community are endless. Yeah, you that's know? so good, Daryl. <laughs> so, that's cool. what you bring so clearly well, in addition to your incredible skill and expert musicianship. Just that <laughs> love of what you do and your generosity is so palpable. Oh. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Well, you know, <laughs> same to you, oh, of course. <laughs> well, you have a son who just graduated middle school. He's just finished eight, finishing eighth grade. Yes. I remember finished. last time we met, just about just fun stuff, you and me, music stuff. Was we he was playing soccer, and he I'm assuming he's still very much involved in soccer. Soccer track. Uh, that's right because that's he right. ran I remember because yeah. my daughter runs track that's hi right. Olivia and Kate <laughs> and yeah so he um, just set the club record uh, for for his CYO team in the four in the 400 meters he ran a sub 54 so the only 8th grader who's ever done that on the history of their club that's so and exciting just you know, not to brag or anything, but no. I, I looked at the middle school records. He ran the sec- second fastest 400 in the state uh, this year. So Loving that. Yeah. So in high school, I'm assuming he's going to keep running. He's going to keep running, but um, he's also doing musical theater he's, <laughs> and music production. I mean, he's like, he's eclipsing me. I'm, it's embarrassing. He's, oh, like, he's doing so stuff that's cool. like <laughs> playing I, in a rock band now. They're, I'm just, they're rehearsing I want to make sure you speak. have get some running shoes because you're going to be going to track uh, meets. You're going to be running uh, around a lot. I'm telling you. It's great, actually. That's my best exercise. Uh-huh. Running the track during soccer practice. Yep. Running the tractor and practice. Get a cooler that you can wear across your chest. <laughs> Hydrate. Yes. Especially indeed. if you have a singing gig that night. <laughs> True. True. So yeah. you, you wrote a song for your Dude, son's graduation you know, that you said you'd share. I, yeah, I would like to. It's um, it's funny. I his teacher had mentioned that uh, she wanted something for the parents to sing. Dang! What a Really? Your son's classmates? Oh, yeah, Daryl Grant wrote us a song. Uh, well, uh, so I, I didn't do anything about it for a long time, and then uh-huh. I just I 
got an email about the theme of the grad of the graduation take flight and i just oh. said those words and all of a sudden it's like beeline to the piano and it just it happened mm. so we're all gonna all the parents are gonna sing this up there i mean those of us who are not weeping our hearts out are gonna try and sing this so in other words it'll just be piano only <laughs> it could be yeah only. <laughs> but uh, anyway i'll do it i've actually haven't performed it yet so oh, let's see so uh, we'll share it with you guys um Today is the day It's all in place We celebrate And watch you take flight We set the stage Now turn the Now hold it steady with 
I, I can really I can beautiful. barely make it. I don't know. I don't know. If I don't know how you better rehearse I don't. <laughs> anyway, I'm hoping enough of us, enough oh. of our voices will, uh, will oh. keep it going. But oh. you know, you, you you know how that would feel. Oh. You know, seeing them sort That's of beautiful. rise up. So. Well, and it's gonna it'll be an anthem for. I mean, I think every middle school in the country will be <laughs> buying that. You better make it available on music notes or something because it's uh, beautiful. Thanks, yeah. Oh, what a what a joy to have you here today. Thanks. thanks. Thank you so much for My taking pleasure. the time. Thank I really you. appreciate it. And yeah. I want to thank Chris Porras from Artslandia. And I want to remind everybody, subscribe to Adventures in Artslandia and check out the Artslandia website. And Misty Tempolis, thanks for being the wind beneath my wings to enable me to do this kind of stuff. Mike Moore at the undisclosed location (laughs) where we are. And Sasha and Garrett and Reed, who are our special guests. What a great opportunity to make music and talk about what's going on that's really cool. Oregon Bach Festival on July 12th. Don't miss the territory. See Daryl. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for coming. Why do we sound so good? Because we're at Dead Aunt Thelma's studio and Mike Moore is engineering for us. Thanks, Dead Aunt Thelma's. Thanks, Mike. I want to reach 50% more listeners in the next three months, and I need your help. Will you share and subscribe? If I reach my goal, let's invent a cocktail to celebrate. How about an adventure Rita in Artslandia? Or do you have a better idea?